This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. So Advent for us, uh, for all of us, uh, is a season of preparation. Uh, We are getting ready for Christmas, and there's lots of ways that I know we do that in our families. Uh, Many of us have traditions that we've done year after year after year. Uh, As for some of you, I know for our family that Thanksgiving weekend is sort of that pivot point where we go from the rest of the year to the next month is just focused on Christmas. We make sure we always get a tree that weekend, and so we have a live tree uh, in our home, um, and so we make sure we get that and bring it in and set it up and make sure it's cut. I have to, I have to cut it a couple times at the bottom, make sure that it's you know, bringing up water. Uh, my brother-in-law uh, has a different tradition. They also have a tree. Uh, I tell him it's not a real tree. He says it is a real tree. It's just not alive. It's just a different thing. It's still real, Tim. It's right here. You can see it. But they do it differently. They actually, at the end of every Christmas, he is, he is the master of efficiency. He will wrap the tree fully decorated in saran wrap, carry it up to their attic, which has walk-up stairs that I believe they put in there just for this reason, carry it up, set it in a corner, and then Thanksgiving weekend, he'll go up, he'll take it, again, fully wrapped in saran wrap, bring it down, put it in the corner, unwrap it, and say, done. And that's all he does. I'm like, what, what, what are you doing? And then outside their house, they actually have, you've seen the lights now, the, like the light show that you just set in the ground and it just throws lights in your house. He says, this is the easiest decorating ever. Like I just have a tree that's already done. I stick a you know, lamp in the ground and I've got yellow, green, and purple lights. And if I don't like those, I don't have to climb on any ladders. I just turn a switch and it changes and it's still beautiful. And he makes fun of me all the time because of course we've got garlands and we've got, you know, bows. And, and anyway, that's, that's his tradition. But many of you have these traditions. You have these traditions of preparation. I know a lot of you were at the Christmas parade last night. Who was at the Apex Christmas parade last night? Who was in the Apex Christmas parade last night? Some of you are in it, yeah? We had, a, we had a, one adult this morning. I, I asked who was in it, who was there. And everyone was like, yeah, we were there. And we were like, who was in it? And uh, Charles Wilkins, I mean, I won't say his name, but it was Charles Wilkins. <clears throat> Charles just like shot up. I was in it. Like, didn't you see me? Like, he was just so excited. I think Charles was way more excited than the rest of the kids. But for some of you, that's what starts the season. But for whatever it is, you know, all of us, we begin this season really looking forward uh, toward Christmas. We're anticipating this, this holiday uh, that has different meanings in different places. And, and yet for us as a church, uh, one thing we're trying to be very intentional of, intentional about is to be a people who prepare well uh, to embrace the promises that we receive uh, at Christmas. We, we've have a very, it's a very traditional sermon series this year. We really are just walking through the four traditional themes of this season, love, our hope, love, joy, and peace. Uh, we're using an Advent wreath, which we do most years as our central image. Even the image on your bulletins are the image of an Advent wreath. And we are very intentional to create space for families to build their own wreaths and then to engage in a, in a devotional season to hopefully help prepare us again well for, uh, for Christmas Eve. And I know some of you are doing that. Uh, if you'd like resources on that, one thing I asked Donna to share this morning is uh, the booklet that we gave out at our Advent wreath making uh, last week or two weeks ago now uh, came from uh, these resources. It's United Methodist Church Discipleship, umcdiscipleship.org slash resources, and you can see the, the address there. And one of the things that's great about this resource, and, and my family's using it, uh, we'll pause tonight, every Sunday night throughout Advent, and uh, it gives you some scripture, it gives you some prayers, to sing, and then it gives you little questions throughout the week that you can ask. Um, I think we've got a question too, Donna. You got that? Uh, This is from last week. This is from last Friday, 
And it was about hope. I mean, last week was all about hope and how we are a people who experience this hope in Christ. Is so a Friday, just one of the ways they do that is they think about your family. You know, somebody live with you, others may be far away. And who in your family needs God's hope? And we ask you to pray for this family member today. And that's just a tangible way throughout the week, just a, a small moment. You can use it if you've got families in your car, on the way to school or back, maybe at a kitchen, kitchen table or for breakfast, whatever it may be. But just small ways to do that if you're looking for just a, an easy, tangible way to plug in uh, to, to worship throughout the season. Another thing that, that our family uses uh, that you may be familiar with if you're not, uh, it's a great tool. It's called the Jesse Tree. Uh, and the Jesse Tree is a longer story throughout Advent. It's 25 uh, devotionals that uh, lead us you know, throughout the Advent season, but it tells the, the whole story of Scripture. So it doesn't focus just on Christmas. It begins actually with creation. It talks about God's love at creation. And then the, the first two days, uh, which we did this, this past weekend, where you know, God created us, God created the world, and then you hang a, a globe. We have a globe that we hang on the tree. And then the second day is about sin. It talks about Adam and Eve disobeying God, and yet God's still loving them. And then we hang a, a serpent and an apple on the tree, and, and it sort of leads you through this tangible way. And again, for, for, as a dad with, with two little ones, with a 9-year-old and a 7-year-old, uh, this has been a great, great tool uh, for that. And so if, you, if, if you're looking for something, again, to sort of get you in this rhythm, I'd encourage you to check out uh, some of these resources. The last thing that we do, uh, which is a sort of a fun thing, is, is we use these calendars. And you may have seen them. They pop out. They've got chocolate in them, right? So we figured if nothing else gets you in the mood for Christmas, chocolate will. And it's just sort of a, another way to invite you in. You can't get the chocolate without reading Scripture, so it's like another just incentive uh, to engage. My kids come every day after school. We're like, we want our chocolate now. Thank you. So it's a great way to do that. So whatever it may be, I would just encourage you throughout the season to find ways particularly with the busyness of it, uh, to pause and to engage in Scripture, to engage in worship, uh, whether that's through rhythms like this that are daily, whether it's through coming throughout the week and, and pausing at Peace of the Peak or at Jingle Jam or, or whatever it may be. Uh, but find ways to escape sort of the cultural, cultural busyness that is Christmas and, and really prepare ourselves, prepare our hearts uh, for, for Christmas and Christmas Eve. Uh, this morning we are shifting, and so we began with, uh, with hope. And we talked about last week uh, and here and in traditional services about uh, the hope of Christ that we find, particularly when we can look back on the foundation that God has offered us. We look to our history and see God's faithfulness over and over again, and that gives us a hope for the future. And so that's where we spent most of our energy uh, last week, talking about hope in this season. Uh, And this morning we're shifting to love. Now, now love is an interesting topic uh, in the life of the church and in the life of our, our culture. I went online this week and looked at all the images that pop up when you search uh, for love on Google, and a lot of them look like this, right? They're red or pink. They have a heart on them. I was a little concerned that this heart was bleeding, but, I mean, I'm just, but that's that's what they look like. I mean, love for us has these images. You go to the next one, Donna. Or it's some, like, some magic of love, right? Like, like love is, love is perfect, or love is, like, sort of magical and if you experience love, I mean, I think they're floating across the water. I mean, there's just these images we have. You know, next one. Or like there's flowers, right? Like we have roses or, or daisies or, or something that, that embodies love. And in culture, I think that's, this is a lot of what we talk about when we talk about love. Your love has its colors. It's pink. It's, it's roses. It's, it's red. It's, it's, it's mysterious, but it's magical. It, it takes us away from this life. It's just like, like love is good, right? Love is 
Love is fun. Love is happy. Love is joyful. And that's, that's the image we have. There's this um, Hallmark card that I've, I've seen a while back you know, that was, again, about love. Life, life isn't always wonderful, but, but you are. That's, that's sweet, right? Aw. I've been married 13 years. My wife has never said that to me. <laughs> but, I mean, like, we, you know, we have these sentimental things that we do around love. I mean, I've said it to her. She was the first service, and I reminded her that this was true. I was like, yes, of course. She rolled her eyes at me. But that's a different problem. But this is what, this is what we do. We, we try to make love this thing, this, this other thing that transcends all the problems of this world. We make love this, this sort of, uh, you know, we, we dress it up and, and we make it pretty and we make it, make it happy. And, and that's, that's what we hope it is. And, but the reality is, uh, for, for, for many of us, we, we know uh, that love isn't always that clean and that easy. You know, love isn't always so easily, to, easily defined as you might find on a Hallmark card with some quip, you know, some sentimental phrase. Your love is way more complicated than that. And so the question I began asking is when we teach about love in the church, when we talk about God's love, uh, what do we actually mean by that? You know, what does it mean to be a people who claim God's love? What, what distinguishes God's love from those images that we see all around us when we talk about love and culture? What makes us different? What makes us unique as God's people when we talk about Talk about love. So that's what we're going to spend our time on today. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, we're going to begin there. And if you're doing the at-home uh, Advent worship, uh, you would have read this last Sunday. So this passage will be very familiar to you. And then we're going to look at Isaiah 11, which is actually the passage for tonight. And so, if you, again, if you're doing Advent at home, you'll, you'll get a chance to reread this, uh, reread this tonight. But hear this word from Isaiah. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills, and all the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And then from Isaiah 11. And if you're reading this tonight, you'll read all, all ten verses, but we're going to begin with verse 6. As Isaiah gives this prophecy to the people of Israel, he says, The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And on that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The book of Isaiah, 
has several things about it that I think it's helpful for us to understand as we read this morning. Uh, one was Isaiah was a prophet. And so his job uh, was to engage with God and then speak on behalf of God to God's people. And so he was set apart uh, to, to be uh, this mouthpiece for God, to speak truth into God's people's lives, to, to tell them what they are doing now and to project what would be to come. And he lived in a time period between 700 and 800 B.C., so before Christ, that, uh, that was a, a war-torn country of Israel. Uh, the Assyrians had come in, and they had conquered the northern kingdom, the northern half of Israel, and really just destroyed uh, homes and families and that promised land that they had inhabited. And so uh, the first half of Isaiah uh, really is between 700 and 800 B.C., where Israel, that northern kingdom, is, is under this sort of war, war-torn oppression. And the southern half of the kingdom, Judah, uh, is under threat all the time. And so Isaiah is speaking into the lives of, of that context. The second half of Isaiah is about 100 years later, uh, where Babylon had come in, and the Babylonians had actually taken over all of the southern kingdom, and the people of Israel were exiled out of their homeland. And so this is the place where they had been promised by God. We had you talked about this several months ago. They'd crossed the Jordan River. They'd, they'd been in this, this region, and the Babylonians had, had pulled them out and, and were, again, uh, families were torn apart, uh, homes were destroyed. All, this, is, this is the culture they were living in. I'm teaching a Bible study on Monday mornings to our senior adults, and we're teaching on Daniel, the book of Daniel. And so if you know Daniel in the lion's den or you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is the same time period where Babylon, Daniel was in the service of the king of Babylon. And so this is, this is what's happening here. So the smartest and the brightest people were taken out of Judah to the Babylonian king to serve him and to, to live there uh, rather than uh, to be in their homes with their families in their communities. And so Isaiah is speaking to them, and he's, and he's speaking this prophecy. And he's saying, there's going to be a time where swords are beaten into plowshares, and where spears are turned into pruning hooks. It says, basically, your soldiers will no longer have to fight war anymore. There will be no more war. The people are experiencing war right now. They know oppression. They know pain. They know death. So they know what war feels like. And Isaiah is saying, there will be a time where there is no more war. And for many of them, I'm sure that they thought that, that time will never come. And then in chapter 11, he says, and furthermore, there will be a time when things that don't fit together, people that don't belong together, Animals, you know, lions and lambs, leopards and goats, like they'll come together. And the passage that we often quote this time of year from Isaiah 11 is, and there will be a child that leads them. And so Isaiah presents this picture of a kingdom that will come, a kingdom of hope, where, where all the devastation they're experiencing, all the devastation they expect, all the tearing apart of families, the, the, the brokenness in their community, the sin in their temples, all the things that are happening, Isaiah says there'll be a time that God redeems all of those things, where God restores all of them to their proper order. And, and as I was reading this in preparation for uh, this weekend, one thing that I realized about God's love, about God's presence, God's grace, God's gifts to us, is that this is often how God shows up. This is what makes God's love different than how we talk about love. God's love shows up when things are broken, when they're messy, when they're dark, when they're painful, when they don't make any sense. God's love shows up in those dark times, offering light 
and hope to people who truly desperately need it. You fast forward from here 600, 700 years, and you get to the birth of Christ. When you get to Christmas, you get to the birth of Jesus, again, that same time frame, what's happening is not Assyria and Babylon are no longer there, but Rome is there. And the Roman Empire has taken over that whole region, and so the Jewish people were again under the oppressive rule of another empire. And they were trying to figure out what it meant to have a kingdom, to have their own authority. And so Jesus is born once again into a broken, desperate people looking for some way out. And that's where God enters in. That's how God breaks in. Christmas truly is about God breaking in, not with bells and tinsel and Christmas trees, but God breaking into messiness and to brokenness and into sinfulness. God being born not in this sort of beautiful scene like you saw with Amanda and Justin and Owen earlier, in this nice, clean hospital where there's doctors and nurses caring for them and people are bringing gifts all the time, right? But being born into a scene of an unwed mother in an inn far away from her home, on the floor of a stable, lying her child in the place where cows eat. A very different scene than what they just experienced this past week. That's where God chose to break in. That's where God chose to make himself known, not with some powerful force or with lights in the sky, but in this fragile, delicate baby that came in to offer God's love for us. Uh, There's this passage in Paul's letter to the Romans that I think is super helpful for us as we think about the character of God's love. It comes from Romans chapter 5. Donald, do you have that? It says this. It says, but God's... God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think we can be faithful to the scripture if we simply change the word died to born. That while we were set yet sinners, Christ was born for us. That proves God's love for us. Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection is the proof of God's love for us. And so that is the character of the love of God. That is, that is how God embodies God's love. It's through this entering in, not when things are perfect, entering in, not when things are rainbows and roses and, and designs of hearts in the sky, but breaking in when our love has failed, when our love has fallen short, when life isn't what it's supposed to be, when families are broken apart, when death comes too soon, That's when God breaks in. That's the character of God's love. This past week, uh, on Thursday night, coming into Friday morning, uh, I received a phone call that that one of our uh, longtime church members had passed away. Uh, She was in her mid-60s. Her name is Janet Portzer. Uh, And she went to bed. She had a normal day on on Thursday and had sort of lived out her life, or lived out the day like she normally would, had been in the garden, had worked out, had done everything that they normally would do, went to bed at a normal time, and, and just simply didn't wake up. And I got a call from her daughter, Joelle, uh, letting me know that it happened about 8 o'clock on, on, Thursday, on Friday morning. And it's one of those things that I've known her family since I was in middle school. It's one of those shocking calls that you don't expect to get on a Friday morning. And the last couple of days, one of the things I've been most proud of as a pastor in this church is to watch the way that this church has embodied has been incarnate, the the quality of God's love that we just talked about. People have been bringing food. They have been visiting. They've been offering 
prayers. They've been sending Facebook messages with memories of, of Janet's life to her husband, Jeff, and her daughter, Joelle, and son, Jeremy. I got a text from Joelle last night, and she said, we're going to go visit, we're going to go see them this afternoon after church. And she said, come eat with us. There's more food than we could eat for months. Like, I need you to come eat. And I said, you know me well enough that I will eat, I promise. But that's been the response of our church family. Janet's one of those people, if you knew her, uh, was also one that just embodied this nature of God's love. She made herself uncomfortable. She entered into the hard places so that people might know the power of God's love. She and Jeff were some of the first folks that were non-Spanish speakers that helped start our Fiesta Cristiana service. That saw people in our community that were neighbors of ours, that, that spoke a different language than us, that, that may not fit in our culture, and they went out and broke into places that were uncomfortable for them to invite them not just to be good neighbors, but to be part of our family. That's, what Janet, that's who Janet was. When she retired uh, for a couple of years, she went and worked at Habitat as a volunteer, again, making herself uncomfortable in a season that they could have been traveling the world. Her son was living in Australia. Her daughter was in Japan. Now, they still visited them. But she took that time, and she gave her life to Habitat to help break the cycle of poverty for some families in our midst that, that needed that, that needed that help. That's just who she was. She set aside her life, her own life, for the sake of the other. She set aside what made her comfortable, what would be easy for her, for the sake of those who did not necessarily look like her, speak like her, talk like her. And I think for me, and for many that knew Janet, for many that knows many of the people in this church, I, mean, I think that's the character of so many that make up this body of Christ, which makes my job so much easier, because it's just who we are. That's who we, that's who we choose to be. This church chooses over and over and over again to be a people who don't simply do things to make ourselves comfortable who don't simply do things to to make it feel good for us, but who do things to make sure we're paying attention to the stranger, to the neighbor, to the outsider, the one who may not find life as easy as we may find it for that season. We make sure we're paying attention to broken relationships that that aren't going the way that we had hoped or expected. See, the, the nature of God's love is much more a candle in a dark room than it is fireworks in the sky. But the simple light in, in, in John's gospel, it says that the light of Christ in the darkness like, is in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. That's what God's love is all about, is being present in those places, those places of brokenness and sinfulness, those places where things don't always make sense, those places where we lose someone too soon, where our relationships aren't going the way that we expected them to go, or our kids aren't doing the things we hoped they might do. Or we are stuck between caring for our parents and caring for our kids and trying to figure out what it means to be us. Or we have neighbors that are going through life change or work or coworkers who are experiencing pain and hurt. Part of our task, our response, is the people who go where the hurt is, the people who go where the brokenness is of people who go where things aren't quite right, and we offer uh, words of love and words of hope, words of peace and promises of joy. And that's what it means to be God's church. That's what it means to embody God's love. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, he talks about this in this way. He says that you know, what it means to be the body of Christ is that when one of us suffers, we all suffer. 
but that also when one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. He said, that's what it means to be the body. That's what it means to be the church, is that we suffer with each other and we rejoice with each other. We see the good and we see the challenging, and we make sure we come alongside and share that love. And so uh, this is my challenge uh, to all of us uh, this Christmas season, that in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our you know, gift buying and, and preparations and hanging lights or simply sticking the light tower in the ground, that we, would, that we would pause and that we would remember that while we were yet sinners, while things were broken, while things weren't making sense, God broke into this world and offered God's love for us. And that we might pause and do the same. Amen.